What we did last time is we looked at Moses as the reluctant prophet. He did not want the job. Uh, you know what? Uh, if he'd known what he was in for, he probably would not have wanted it all the more, right? <clears throat> uh, because definitely his ministry was a tough one. But <clears throat> when we look at uh, the ministry of Moses, we're looking at something really exciting. Because what God is doing is he's birthed the nation under Abraham. And what he's going to do with the nation now, he's going to form it into a nation uh, under Moses for the first time. Remember, 70 people went down to uh, <clears throat> to Egypt um, under Jacob, and uh, Joseph was there at the time, and they've now grown. Over 600,000 men, fighting men, are going to leave Egypt. And so the estimates are uh, two, two and a half million people are going to leave Egypt. That's, that's an enormous thing. That's a nation. It's like God put them in a greenhouse uh, to grow a nation, and now he's just going to take them out of it, and he's going to bring them <clears throat> uh, through. What we're going to look tonight is at the Red Sea. We're going to briefly go through the uh, the uh, plagues, and then we're going to look at the Red Sea, and we're, we're going to focus in on the growth of faith, all right? That's a word of prayer, and then we'll look. Father in heaven, would you bless us tonight? Would you help us as we look to your word? Uh, bless us, Lord. Uh, make it real to us, and Lord, uh, may we honor you in our response to you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> all right, we're looking at the Exodus chapter 13 first off. Exodus 13. And while you're looking there, let me just briefly run you through the plagues, right? Um, <clears throat> in Exodus 7, the water was turned to blood. And, <clears throat> you know, although Pharaoh's magicians duplicated that, they, they turned water to blood too. Uh, big deal. Because what happened was the fish died and the main sor- water source was unusable. And remember that Egypt is a strange kind of a place. You know, the Nile and Egypt are one. You know, with, without the Nile, you don't have an Egypt. The reason Egypt, Egypt exists is because of the Nile. Uh, it's desert all around it, uh, but through uh, the, the land flows the Nile, and the Nile waters the desert, and so the desert becomes a very fertile area. But the first plague was that God uh, <clears throat> turned the water into blood, right? And then frogs cover the land. Now, how would you like that, by the way? How would you like frogs in your bed and frogs everywhere, you know? I mean, they're grand when they're a few feet away from you. They're grand when somebody else is playing with them and somebody but if they were everywhere? I mean, <clears throat> can you imagine everywhere you walk, you're standing on frogs? You know, every, th- every time, that, and, and, and the Bible records that every time you go to bed, you're, <clears throat> you know, you, you've got frogs. I mean, uh, that is really gross. But there's a plague of frogs. Now, remember, the frog represented one of the Egyptian gods. The Nile was one of their gods, and and the frog represented one of their gods, too. And um, by the way, when the plague was over, the frogs didn't mysteriously vanish away. They they, they sat in piles, and they stank. That was bad, right? Then there's the swarms of flies. Um, Sorry, before that, there was the lice. Uh, in Exodus chapter 8, 16 through 19. And the appearance of lice was a degrading experience and hurt the Egyptians' pride, making them outcasts. Uh, and then there was the swarm of flies, and the buzzing and biting of the flies brought discomfort and disease. Uh, then the livestock was diseased, and uh, painful boys, boils afflicted um, <clears throat> humans and cattle. Then there was the <clears throat> hail and fire, and hail, a rare phenomenon in Egypt, destroyed the flax, the barley, and the trees, and killed humans and animals. Then the locusts came, and they mopped up everything that was left. 
So what you're, what you're seeing here is you're seeing God challenging each of the gods of, of um, <clears throat> Egypt and beating them. But what you're seeing is that the nation being destroyed. Their power, their uh, ability all being taken away from them. Then you had darkness for three days. And that was uh, just a demonstration of God's power uh, against the Egyptian god Ra. And then the death of the firstborn. And remember, the death of the firstborn uh, <clears throat> particularly hit at the idea that Pharaoh thought he was a god. Right? And if he was a god, then his firstborn was a god too. But you know what? The god overcame Pharaoh's god and, you know, God won. And so what you have there is God demonstrating his power uh, to Egypt and showing them who he is. But not only to Egypt. Remember, Israel <clears throat> went down into, into Egypt un, under Jacob. And we like to say that under Jacob there were real spiritual people. But they weren't. Right? They went down a raggle-taggle bunch. Uh, you know, the, he, Jacob's got 12 boys. Joseph's already uh, in Egypt. And the, <clears throat> apart from Benjamin, the other, t- the other 10, they're, 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 they're rogues. They are really rogues. They are, uh, they are bad guys. They are just chips off the old block. They're just as bad as Daddy Jacob was. And, and um, <clears throat> they're causing all kinds of trouble. So they went down, not in a very good place spiritually. They spent 430 years in Egypt and it wouldn't have been calculated to really build you in the faith of Jehovah God. You know, so, so these people stayed in Egypt for 430 years. And they may not have become Egyptian because culturally they were Israelites. But as far as being spiritual, there really wasn't much going on. And they're going to demonstrate that now as time goes by. <clears throat> so uh, Pharaoh goes down to lead them out of it. And <clears throat> things begin to happen. Not the best kind of things uh, at first, all right? But look with me at chapter 13. You know, the, the firstborn are slain. They are led out. Uh, and the first part of the journey, look at verse 17 in, uh, of chapter 13. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. Uh, but God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed and out of the land of Egypt. Right now, now, God could have led them straight to the land of Canaan, but they would have had to go through the land of the Philistines, and they would have had to fight the Philistines along the way. So God decided not to lead them that way, to lead them through the Red Sea. God was leading this brigade everywhere they went. Now, you know, when we look at God leading them there, that seems kind and tender of God not to lead them into a place where they're going to get uh, fearful and want to return to Egypt, right? <clears throat> um, but I want you to see now chapter 14 as we come to the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp before Pi-Hirot, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon, before ye shall encamp by the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, and the wilderness hath shut them in. Now, here's what happens here now. God leads them again, but God leads them into a place where they're entangled in the land. He, he leads them uh, into a cul-de-sac. He leads them into a place that really uh, was not a good place to be. You know, so if you were leading the, the nation of Israel, you wouldn't want to lead them into a place. They had, they had no way of retreat. Uh, if anybody attacked them, they were just in a dangerous place. And really, they were going nowhere because they were going towards the sea and they were blocked in on every side. The only way out was to go back by the way they came. 
Right? But God led them that way. Do you know that sometimes God leads you into a cul-de-sac? Sometimes God leads you into a place that there's no way out of. Sometimes God, God allows you to go into a place. God is always leading in our lives. When we, when we let him, he's leading. And we can't even say for the nation of Israel, apart from Moses, that they were really letting him. But Moses was, was following God's lead. <clears throat> but, but God leads you. And when he leads you, sometimes he leads you into places you'd rather not go. Sometimes he leads you into places that are hard and that are tough for you. Right? But understand this, that because God loves you, even though he may lead you into a place that's not where you want to go, it's the best place to be. Now, this is the best place, guys, let's open those doors. Uh, <clears throat> this is the best place for Israel to be, right slap bang, uh, in the middle of a place where they're entangled in the wilderness, where they're easy picking for pharaohs, right? Now, <clears throat> remember, God is leading them out of their bondage, but what else is God doing here? You know, in order to understand what God is doing, sometimes you won't know exactly what God is doing, but oftentimes he, he lets you know what he's doing. And some of the principles of, of what he's doing are always uh, uh, there for you. What do you think God is doing here? He's trying to, definitely trying to grow their faith. Definitely trying to grow their faith. He's working at growing their faith. Right? So <clears throat> in order to grow your faith, well, what does God have to do? Pardon? Show his power, right? He has to show his power. In order to show his power, what does he need? Pardon? Okay, he needs you to be weak and calling out to him. He needs a reason to show his power, doesn't he? Do you know what God does? God creates a reason to show his power. That's what he does. He just takes, and, and that's what he's doing here. He's creating a reason where they will need uh, where they're going to be looking to him, they're going to be. There's going to be no other way out for them. They're going to need God. I mean, it was possible for God to stop the stop the Philistines to uh, to shut them all down, and for the nation of Israel to march through the land of the Philistines into the land of Canaan and done and dusted in a week and a half. God could have done that, but He didn't do that because He had something else uh, in mind. You see, God is all. We're we're always looking at the immediate result of what we God, want God to do. God is always looking much further than that. God's looking into eternity. He's looking at the the big picture in our lives, and so He's always going to be doing things that are <clears throat> really not what we would have Him to do. We 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 would have it nice and easy. You know, if you and I were sitting, you know, in, in the planning stages of getting Egypt, getting Israel from Egypt to uh, Canaan land, we'd sit down and we'd work out the most efficient way to do it and we'd get them over there as quickly as possible. We wouldn't consider for a moment them spending 40 years in the wilderness. But we'd avoid that for all we're worth. And you know what we'd do? We'd blow it. Because God's got a big picture. Now, in your life, God does the same thing. God plans things in your life that are not what you want. Detours, blind alleys, problems, issues, difficulties, so that he can grow you. So that he can move you on. You see, he's much more concerned about you eternally than he is about you being happy today. And you know what? Like a good father, he knows that what he's got his eye on for us is much more important to us than us being happy today. 
So what he's doing is he's, he, he's going to be planning, he's going to be working in your life uh, to grow you. And some of the things he does are not going to be going to be things that you would rather he didn't do. They're going to be things you're going to look at and you're going to say, couldn't he have done this easier? Couldn't, couldn't this have been a bit done, done a better way? And the answer, honestly, from God is no. This is the way. So that if you find yourself in difficulties and problems, in a blind alley maybe today, <clears throat> listen, this is God's way for you. This is his place for you. He wants you here. And he's able to take your blind alley and turn it into a glorious opportunity for him to display his power. And and that's just exactly what he's going to do here with the nation of Israel. Okay, verse 4. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he may follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and they did so, right? Now, so God says he's going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, uh, but let's give Pharaoh some credit here. Uh, I'm trying to establish the, the figures. There's about two and a half million Israelites, two million or two and a half million Israelites. It seems that they were half the population of Egypt, right? I mean, they were a huge portion of the population of Egypt. Now, that's why Pharaoh is not willing to let them go, because it's, it's economic catastrophe, for you to remove that people. Just the fact that people are there and living. You know, the, the, the population of Ireland has grown in the last few years. And, um, you know, listen, that, that helps everything. How many of you have ever played SimCity? Or one of those games where you're trying to build a city. There are lots of games out there where you build a city, aren't there? Uh, one of the key things you need is you need people in your city. You have to try. Because people are finances. People make the whole thing go. People make everything flow. So, Pharaoh re- resisted letting Israel go all the, all the way, and he fought against God, and he, and he got his nation destroyed on the head of it. And then when they're gone, everybody's sitting around looking at themselves. You know, Egypt's a great nation, but Israel did all the building. You know, <clears throat> the, the, this thing is a catastrophe. It's an absolute catastrophe for them. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened by God again, and by the way, when you look at Pharaoh's heart being hardened, half the time Pharaoh hardens his heart and half the time God hardens his heart. Right? So uh, God responds to Pharaoh hardening his heart. But Pharaoh's heart is hardened and Pharaoh decides that he's going to go after them. Now that seems like absolutely insanity to me, doesn't it? It seems like absolute insanity. Why would he, after losing his firstborn, destroying his nation, why would he go after these people again? Well, he does. He sets out to go after them again, right? Um, Notice, though, uh, in verse 4, what it says, too, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. God wants the Egyptians to know that he is the Lord. What does that mean? God wants the Egyptians to understand that there is a God, and he is that God. Now, do you understand that God wants everybody in the world to know that? That God's really not happy uh, to leave people in the world that don't know that he's God. He's not pleased with that. He's not happy with that. Now, as far as Egypt is concerned, for 430 years, God hasn't been saying much, and and Israel hasn't been saying much, and so Egypt has lived in darkness for 430 years. Well, guess what? They've just had a wake-up call. God wants them to know that he is God. And when it comes to the world, the world are going to know, because everybody's going to hear about this thing, this God that opened the Red Sea, 
uh, for his people. Everybody's going to hear about it. You know, so God is going to make his name known. God is going to make everybody to know his name. Now, they're not, you know, the, 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 there's not a prayer meeting going on in the camp, in, in the camp of, the, of the Egyptian soldiers that we may know the Lord. God's just going to do it. God is able to make his name known. By the way, I believe God will make his name known in our age too. He is able to do that. We're very secure. We're very comfortable. You know, we can withstand financial crisis. We can deal with all kinds of problems and issues in life. But you know what? God is still able to take and make his name known. God is able to bring people to the place of prayer. God is able to bring people to the place of dependence upon him. He's able to do it because he's God. And he's always interested in it. He always wants people to know who he is. So he's going to make his name known to the Egyptians by doing this, right? So everybody in Egypt is going to know that there's a God in heaven at the end of what he's going to do. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people, and they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots and all, and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went, up with an, went out with an high hand, but the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihiroth before Beelzephon. Notice what it says there. It says, all, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them. Listen, this was every man that Pharaoh could muster to go after them. This was not just a few you know, chariots. This was everything. Everybody was going to go after them. Right? So Pharaoh, after all the uh, the, the trouble he's seen in, in his land and after all the plagues and everything else, he's still got an army and you know what? He's going to take his army and he's going to go after the children of Israel. <clears throat> and when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them and they were sore afraid and the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away? to die in this wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Right now, as soon as they come under pressure, their reaction is, we're all going to die, and you've let us out here to die. Why didn't you leave us alone and leave us in Egypt? Right? That's 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 the first thought that's going to hit, hit them. Right now, they've been through the plagues. They've seen God's power demonstrated in the plagues. They've seen all that God can do, but they still have not come to faith. As a nation, they still have not come to faith. And by the way, God's patient with them, and He's going to be very patient with them on this occasion. Right? God's going to be very patient with them. Now, His patience is going to run out. It's going to run out rapidly after this event. Um, but he, he's very patient with them. They should have come to faith by now. They'd seen his mighty power. Right? Moses, on the other hand, has. Look at verse 13. Now, God has already told Moses what he's going to do. 
And verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Right, so God has spoken to Moses, told Moses what, what he's going to do. And Moses says to the people, Look, stand still and see the salvation of God. For the Egyptians that you have seen, you're going to see them again no more. In verse 14, For the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Now Moses has grown in faith right, since the beginning. Look back at the beginning um, in... Sorry. Okay, Exodus chapter 5. Moses goes in and he tells Pharaoh to let uh, Israel go. And Pharaoh decides that they're idle. And um, he's not going to let them go. And let's read from verse 17. But he said, you're idle, you're idle. Therefore, he said, let us go and sacrifice, do sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work, for there shall be no straw be given you, yet shall ye deliver the tale of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in an evil case after it was said, Ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron who stood in the way, and as they came forth from Pharaoh, and they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants to put a sword in their hand to slay us. They're not happy. I don't blame them at this stage not being happy. Right? More, Moses has come in with great promises of setting them free and of uh, changing their lives and so on, and it hasn't happened. Instead, their lives just got worse. They were already difficult. They were already hard. They were already living in tough times, and their lives have gotten worse. Right? So they're not happy. They don't have any faith at this point. The idea of a deliverer, that, that sounded great to them, but li- their lives getting harder uh, isn't so good for them. Now, let me ask you, why would God allow their lives to get worse? Didn't he come to deliver them? Didn't he come because their, their lives were so hard he wanted to free them? Isn't, isn't that what he said in Exodus, in the beginning of Exodus? That he come to, why would God let their lives get worse? Now, we need to work these things out because we've we got to deal with the God we serve, not with what we'd like him to be. Wouldn't we like it to be that, you know, everything God does in my life makes me feel happy. And because I'm a Christian and I follow him, everything goes in straight lines and it's wonderful. But that's not true. And when you have a wrong theology, and your theology is your understanding of who God is, when you have a wrong theology, you end up in trouble. You end up with problems because you hit some problem and all of a sudden you fall over because you can't understand what God is doing. Why would God allow their lives to get harder? Come on, it's Wednesday night. Answer me. (laughs) Michael. To test them? Okay, yeah. Definitely to test them. Anybody else? Okay, to knock them out of their comfort zone. That's good. Listen, you know what? They thought it was all going to go their way now. They thought everything was looking at, everything was lined up, ready to go, and um, they were expecting this great deliverer. He had finally come, and they were going to be free. And you know what? Didn't require any faith. All they had to do was follow Moses. 
That's all they had to do. Who wouldn't follow, who wouldn't follow a deliverer out of the land of Egypt? Right? God's going to make it go deeper for them. Vincent. Sorry? Okay. So that when he does deliver them, they're going to give him the glory. They're going to look to him and they're going to say, Lord, it's you. Anybody else? Alan. And it's Jarius, yeah? Okay, so God was, God was with them. Okay, yeah, God was going to be with them. God, God was going to lead them through it. But you see, <clears throat> what we have to understand always is God is building us. Right? And tribulation is not just for some, it's for all. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's great. I, I want peace, don't you? We, we, we like peace. Uh, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace, God's supernatural enabling, wherein we stand uh, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Well, it all sounds real good to me. Right? You know, you've got peace. You've got grace. Uh, you've got hope. Uh, you've got rejoicing. You've got uh, the glory. Verse 3, though, doesn't seem to fit. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays basically that we would know the love of God, so that we could know all the fullness of God. But do you know that we can't know the love of God apart from tribulation? There's got to be... God's got to put us under pressure in order to deliver us so that we know him and know his love. And you say, well, well why does he have to do that? Why couldn't he communicate to me, to me in an easier way? There's no easy way of putting this. It's because we're too dull. Right? How many things has God given you today that you just said, oh, yeah, that's the way it is? You know, everybody gets, everybody has things, and I have things too. You know, I'm, we miss completely the reality that God gives to us. It's very easy for us to just, you know, miss completely the fact of God's love. We could travel through our lives without knowing God's love until God puts, puts us under pressure. Until God puts us in a place where there's no other way. Until he brings us to the end of ourselves, then we don't see him as being all to us. And that's, look, I wish we could be different. But we're not. And God has to consistently bring us to the end of ourselves 
so that we might see and understand and know that it's him we need, and then he can reveal himself to us and he can show us his love. So what we have to understand here is that what God is doing with the nation of Israel when he lets it get worse for them is he's revealing himself to them. And it has to get worse for him to for them to see him. Now, um, back to Exodus chapter 5. Verse 22. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. I want you to ask ask a question. This is Moses, the great Moses. Do you think he's in faith right now? Do you think he's trusting God right now? Is he? Listen, just the fact that his name is Moses doesn't mean he's always doing right and he's always in the right place. No, he's not. Moses is not trusting God. Moses is totally flummoxed now. He doesn't know what's happening. He came to deliver them. He didn't want to do it. He was the reluctant prophet, remember? He came to do it. He went in before Pharaoh and things got worse. And not only that, but you know what? He's responsible. And they're telling him that. The Lord judge between you and us. And so Moses is, he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. Now, how come he doesn't know to trust God at this point? What's the problem? Why doesn't he trust God at this point? Okay, he doesn't have faith, but why doesn't he have faith at this point? Okay, he didn't pray and ask God to help him, but... Basic, more basic than all that, he doesn't really know God very well. This is before the plagues, remember. He's, he really doesn't know God very well. But God's revealed himself to him, and he's, he sent him on this mission, and he's told him, I am that I am, and he's shown him the, uh, <clears throat> the snake, you know, that, uh, the stick that turns into a snake and back again. And those things are exciting for Moses, but he doesn't really know God. He's only getting to know him. It's very hard for you to have faith if you don't know God. It really is. Now, how do you get to know God? I read his word. Follow in his footsteps. Basically spend time with him. That's how you get to know God. That really is how you get to know God. It's not rocket science, you know. It's not like, you know, <clears throat> some revelation from heaven. Moses already had revelation from heaven. He's already seen the burning bush. But he doesn't know God. He's going to walk with God during the plagues, and he's going to get to know him, and he's going to be confident to trust him. <clears throat> now, look, you know, faith is not rocket science. How does the Bible say you get faith? How? Pardon? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Right? It's not the answer of miracles. It's not uh, great things happening in your life. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You read it, and you grow in faith. You step out and depend upon God and you see, wow, it works. 
you know, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. If you actually read the word of God, you're going to grow in faith. You look at God, look at the things that God has done. You're going to be amazed that you, you end up trusting him. Remember, the word of God is a living word. It's a living word that, that, that interacts with you, you know, that actually makes connection with you when you read it, when you spend time in it. And you begin to grow. You begin to grow in faith. You see, the reason when we're looking at the Red Sea that Moses is able to say, stand still and see the salvation of God, is because God told him. And he believed him. Right? Now, you know what? The nation of Israel never rose to this kind of faith. Not en masse. Not the, not, not the whole lot. This, this group definitely don't. And you know what? The truth for them is they're not hearing from God. Now, I don't think it's enough for us to say, well, Moses was the prophet. He was the one that was hearing from God, and they weren't hearing from God. I think they never really wanted to hear from God. They, 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 they walked afar off, and the miracles were great. You know, it was fantastic. You know, listen, it was you know, up, up Israel when, when um, Egypt was getting smashed and um, they, were, they were there. The miracles were great, but they didn't grow in faith because they didn't get to know him. So they're always surprised by what God is doing. They're surprised when he leads them into a dead end. They're surprised when he opens the Red Sea. Moses is not. Moses is saying, wow, you know, but God said he was going to do it, so... What's the surprise? You know, they're, they're surprised, and God surprises them with the things they do. He does, and they don't know Him, they don't understand Him, they don't know what gives with God. So they're, they're never going to grow in faith. Moses is going to hear from God, he's going to know God, and he's going to grow. He's growing. Now, see what God's going to tell Moses in chapter 6, because this is really helpful to him. Uh, <clears throat> Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. By the way, did you notice that God didn't say, Oh, sorry, Moses, I got it wrong. Did you notice that God didn't apologize? Why would he apologize? It's all part of the plan. Listen, God's never going to come and apologize to you for something he does in your life. It's all part of the plan. It's all part of a much better plan than your plan. When God's working in your life, he's working according to his plan. And he doesn't need to come to you and apologize to you. He needs you to catch up on him and get to the place where you're trusting him uh, <clears throat> with what he's doing in your life. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known unto them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of the, uh, their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you up from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of the bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord, which bringeth you out 
uh, from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land concerned to which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an inheritance. I am the Lord. Do you think God might be communicating something very subtle to them there? I am going to do it, because I am. You know, one of the problems for Satan is when he, when he makes his great, his great, great speech, I will ascend uh, uh, into the heavens and I will be as the most high and I, five times he says I. You know, but Satan has no right to say, Lucifer has no right to say that. Because he's not God. But when God says I, 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 he's got every right. Because he will. Because he is God. And what he's saying to Moses is, Moses, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. Moses, it's not going to be you making it happen. These people need to understand it's not because they're the greatest nation on the earth or anything. It's going to be it's because I'm going to do it. And God is telling them, listen, I am going to deliver them. And you know what? <clears throat> I'm not sure that Moses did. Uh, but Moses could have said, oh, so that's what's happening, and just relaxed. Because after what God has just said to him, God's going to do it. It's going to happen, and it's going to be God. Now, to understand this in your life, <clears throat> God is a jealous God. God wants to deliver you. doesn't want you delivering yourself. How often do you make plans for how you're going to deliver yourself, how you're going to make it happen yourself? You know, how you're going to get yourself out of your trouble, how you're going to set things up and get things straightened out. How often do you make plans for how you're going to do it? And it's I. And God says, no, it's not you. It's me. And the more you say I, the more God waits. The more you decide how you're going to do and how you're going to fix it and how you're going to make it happen, God says, okay. Because you can't know him when you're able to do it. You just can't. You have to come to the place where you can't. And you're looking to him to be the I am. Because you're not the I am. I'm not the I am. He is. He's the one principle upon which everything in this universe depends. Including you. Nothing happens apart from him. We can't make anything happen. Well, we think we can. You know, we get kind of proud from time to time. We look at something we've accomplished. And we think, <clears throat> you know, that's pretty good. I, I did that. Do you know Moses is going to do that? Moses is going to say to them, must we bring water from the rock for you? God's saying, you? You can't do anything, Moses. What do you mean you're going to bring water from the rock? Moses, it's not me. It's not going to happen. And because of that grave sin, where Moses stepped in and said, I'm going to bring water from the rock, God said, you're not going to see the promised land. Now, listen, to be honest with you, that's always puzzled me. Why God didn't give in and yield a bit on that. But you know what? That was a pretty grave sin. Moses was standing between God and his glory. And that's probably the most dangerous place on this planet. 
when you stand between God and his glory. When you rise up with your little uh, <clears throat> head and you decide, I am and I will, you know what, listen, you're about to get knocked down. One way or the other, you're about to get knocked down because God doesn't suffer anyone to take his glory. And God is saying, listen, I'm going to do it, Moses. And as long as Moses can do like he does back here in, in chapter 14 and say, stand still and see the salvation of God. He doesn't say, look, I'll sort it out. I've got the rod. He says, no, God will sort it out. And we've got to understand, we can't, but he can. He knew we never would be able to. He never intended us to be. Because he always wanted us to be in the place where we would look to him and depend upon him. Listen, every one of you here tonight that's his child has an area of your life that you can't control. That you just, you can't fix it. You like to. You've tried to. Depending on how like Jacob you are, you know, you may have spent a lot of time trying to fix your life. By the way, Jacob is Mr. Fix-It, isn't he? Jacob's always fixing his problem. He's always dealing with his problem. You know he's going to say when he comes before Pharaoh? He's going to say, few and evil have been the days of my pilgrimage. And I have not, they have not attained unto the days of my father. Listen, you know what? <clears throat> Jacob couldn't do it. You can't either. You were never intended to be able to do it. God intended to do for you what you couldn't do for yourselves. And you've got to get over the I will. That's Satan's territory. That's his territory. I will be as the most high. I will do my own thing. By the way, that's the satanic motto. The satanic motto, mantra, whatever you want to call it is, do as thou wilt. Do what you like. You can't. Because there's an I am who's going to do what he likes. And guess what? You're not beyond his reach. None of us are. He can take and he can draw us in and he can put us in the place where, you know what? We're doing what he wants us to do because he is. We're not. And so God tells Moses what he's going to do. <clears throat> and then in verse 10 he says, sorry, verse 9, And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Go in. Speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, and gave them a charge to the children of Israel, uh, and unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Uh, and then he goes on to list who the heads of the land were, but they had a charge to do it. And you know what? It's going to happen. God's purposefully at this point, created a crisis. He's going to do it again by the Red Sea. He's going to create a crisis. Lead them down a blind alley. Lead them into a cul-de-sac. Uh, lead them into a place where there's no escape. God's always creating a crisis in your life. Why does he create a crisis in your life? Because he wants you to turn to him. You see, for Israel, they've got sea in front of them, They've got wilderness either side of them, and they've got Pharaoh and his army behind them. You know what? When you're there, there's only one place to look, and that's up. Isn't that what God's doing in your life? 
Now, would you do yourself a favor? Would you look up? Would you do yourself a favor and look to him? We're not going to get to it tonight, but you know what? He does open the Red Sea and they do walk through on dry land. It's absolutely incredible. But they walk through on dry land. It's impossible. There's no way out for them. And God makes a way in the impossible place. Do you know there's always a way out? God always has a way out. You just can't see it. There's absolutely nothing that God can't do. Nothing. You've never had a problem that God can't fix. You've never had a problem that God can't overturn. Now, I can tell you this. He's not going to overturn it on your time. You know, he didn't do it for for Moses. He's not going to do it for you. He's not going to fix it on your terms and on your time. Where would be the glory in that? Where would be God's glory in that? You know, he's not going to do it just because you want it done. You see, he has to want it done. When God wants it done, he's going to do it. And because he's all-powerful, he can do it. And because he's all-loving, he'll only do it if it's the best thing for you. And you know what you've got to do? You've got to get your proud head, and you've got to bow your proud head before him and say, Lord, then you do what's best. Don't tell God what's best for you. Tell God, you do what's best, Lord. And you put yourself in his hands, and you let him have his way in your life. And you know what? He can do anything. He can fix any problem. He can change anything. He can heal leprosy. He can restore sight. He can open the Red Sea. He can do anything. But you've got to put yourself in his hand and stop trying to be the, the man or the God. Because isn't that what we want? God controls because he's God. But we want to control. We've got a lot of our daddy Satan in us, don't we? We've got a lot of the old daddy in us. We want to go our own way and do our own thing. God says, I want you to put it in my hands. Just trust me. See what Moses is saying? Stand still. And let's see what God's going to do. Because he's going to do something great. He says, you won't have to fight. God's going to fight for you. Let's just stand still and see what God's going to do. Listen, when God gets you in a blind alley with no hope and no way out and there's no way to fix it, it didn't happen by accident. It happened on purpose. And you know what? He wants you to trust him to fix it. And if you'll trust him, if you'll depend upon him, if you'll look to him for his way, not for your way. I don't know how many times I've had a plan in my mind of how to, how to fix it and it was the wrong plan. When you look to him and let him work his plan... Listen, he's going to do something in it. You know, think about it for a minute. God lets them get caught up in the wilderness. Pharaoh comes rushing after them in his chariots and slaughters all of them. Does that make any sense? No. Peter and the disciples are in the boat. The boat's about to go down, you know, and here's the Messiah and the apostles that he's going to change the world through, and, and they're all going to die and 
Peter says, carest thou not that we perish? Was it possible? It was totally ridiculous. How could the Messiah die in a boat in a storm? You know what? We just have to understand that God's got a plan. What I need to do with my life is not get God on, on board with my plan. What I need to do with my life is get on board with his plan. What is it that you want? What is it that you're doing here? That's where Moses is. See the salvation of God. Let's see what he's going to do. Then life gets exciting. But before that, life's kind of terrifying. Anything could happen. God could do anything. And you know what? God could do anything, but he will do the best. In every area, he will do the best. And when we let him and yield ourselves to him, what we find is we find it's good. It's exciting. It works. So you know what? Get out of the way and let God do what he's going to do. That's Bible prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this story of the Red Sea. Thank you for Moses and for the work you did in building him up. And now, Lord, I do ask you, Lord, that you would just work in our hearts and that you would bless and help us, Lord. And, Lord, I think there are probably many in this room that are in a blind alley today. Lord, I pray you'd help them to, to look up in it and see you and ask you what it is that you want them to do. And, Lord, we know you love us. That's something that's indisputable. Uh, Lord, because you love us, would you lead us and guide us into the best place, your place. In Jesus' precious name, amen.